Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Does anybody have any questions here in the room to start us off? Sorry, I don't think I formulated this question very well quite yet, um, but I'll do my best. So, you know, going to Islamic school, you also learn these verses of spend one third of the night or whatever in worship, but you also learn the ones that are like, oh, like balance and everything, um, balance in the type of prayers that you do, like, you know, don't only spend your time in prayer. And then I guess my question is, how do you do the best job at applying this and not trying to create this relationship with Allah that's, I guess, I, I don't know if you can say this, but is, is there a way that your relationship with Allah can be forged? Um, for example, like the dhikr that you do, the prayers that you do, um, especially if you're kind of intending it to be just so you can be close with Allah, and that's all you have in your mindset, is, is, is it possible that that is only, I guess, trying to forge something that needs more time, needs more patience, I guess it's kind of a more pragmatic in the sense of how do you go about like knowing these verses and then also knowing the ones don't spend all your time in prayer and maybe being more new to this journey of prayer you know how do you find peace and tranquility in the patience and in the process basically if that makes sense I mean the the question the question is really about balance um, 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 I mean, the the Quran, of course, doesn't doesn't say don't don't spend all your time in prayer. But I I know what you mean. Uh, you you're referring to. The teachings of the Prophet uh, about balance and everything, and it is there. There is another teaching that is often mentioned in this context that awilu fi hada dini birifq fa'inn mubtala ardan qata'a wa nazaran abqa that when when you approach the affairs of your religion, appro approach it with moderation. Because if you if you take on more than you can handle, uh, you are going to be like a, a camel that's heavily weighed with merchandise and that tries to run. Uh, it, it will fall apart. It will never get where it wants to get and will never actually keep the merchandise on its back because it's going to cr crumble. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we are torn, right? Because on the one-third between the, the old ideal of moderation being one-third for work, one-third for rest, and one-third for prayer, to, we, we went from that to a realm where moderation became 
if we manage to get in our five prayers, then that's sort of considered moderation. And the truth has to be somewhere in between. Um, you know, accommodating human beings change with with time. Their psychology changes. Their consciousness changes. Their and the their relationship to time and space changes. And um, it, it is not too many human beings on the face of this earth today that can spend one third of their time in prayer. It's just that's the the way human beings have become. Um, but it should remain clearly in our mind that the access that if we want access to God, then we, in direct proportion to our investment, is what we will achieve. I mean, I, the, the main thing that I take away from this is that you can't expect, because it's very common to find people today that will say something like, well, you know, I speak to God, I, I have a connection with God, talks to me, and they don't really invest much time in prayer, they don't, I mean, it's it, what they listen to is their ego, and they, uh, um, and the line of demarcation between their ego and, and what they declare to be the divine voice is very ill-conceived. And um, in this world, you know, in today's age was a lot of the philosophy of self-help and the philosophy of um, superficiality in, in so much of what we do. So what's reasonable i it, it you can't you you can't have a, one general hard and fast rule you know i can't but what i can tell you is that the the more well off you are the more time you have free time you uh, uh on your hand the more guilty you should feel if you're not in direct proportion, increasing the, the time you spend worshiping. Um, you know, I can't talk to I can't talk to someone who's, you know, working night and day to just feed their family uh, because they live in poverty in, in India or Pakistan or Egypt or something. In the same way that I would talk to someone who, uh, you know easily blows hours every weekend basically do nothing um, I think the expectation is different but the the other firm thing is that just the, the investment of serious time in something other than our material existence and you know, if um, so, wh where is the balance? It, it, can we create? No, I don't think you can create hard and fast rules. You know, the, at a minimum, is are your five daily prayers, but beyond that, 
uh, unless you're working individually with a sheikh that, you know, basically guides you individually and tells you what to do, um, then beyond that, it's your conscience that can guide you. But don't get into the habit of giving your conscience an easy way out. Um, to be honest with oneself often requires that you sort of adopt the, 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 the um, point of view of an outside observer watching you spend your time and what that outside observer would say about the way that you spend your time. And if you are not very proud to tell people about the way you spend your time, then that's probably an indicator that your conscience is, is not very clear. You know, um, yeah. Any other questions here? See, so my question is not, um, it's not specific to Muslim, but just to, I mean, the, the program in general, because it's just something that keeps coming up in, in each surah in the sense of, uh, could you sort of uh, elaborate on what your methodology is for uh, interpreting verses of the Quran in the sense of, you know, when you take the literal versus metaphoric type of meaning, you know, there's ta'weed, tafweed, and then you have, uh, you know, even like the the Sufi types like Ibn Arabi and Mullah Sadra who, who say, well, it's... They're actually Zahiris in the sense, you know, they have to take the Zahir of the Qur'an, but there's these underlying ma'ani. Um, yeah, I, like, I, I think just give us, like, yeah, I'd be interested in knowing your thoughts on this. Just be, I mean, I think it's just going forward, like, yeah, for the program. No, the, the, the question. Yeah, no, he, uh, Ram is asking about the methodology for the, uh, for interpreting the, um, the ayat. Um, uh, my, my methodology specifically. Um, And of course, it, I can't say, I, I can't, um, the, I mean, that, that's bigger than, than just a, a simple question. But, um, I, Put it. Um, where do I start? I start out with for every surah, understanding the totality of circumstances in which the surah was revealed. I don't believe in nasr. Um, 
on this for, for many different reasons, but I don't believe in Nesk unless it's, I, I have no other choice because I think abrogation is, raises a whole set of problems for the Quran. Um, and the evidence for, for abrogation in the surviving text is a problem. But for every surah and, and every ayah, if there is any evidence in, in the text that helps you understand the way it was understood, the way it was received, uh, uh, in the context, in, that, that becomes part of the important evidence. Uh, the idioms matter a great deal because the evidence is that idioms were part of how the ayat were understood. And, um, and so the idioms require the study of the language as it was used. Some expressions are known to have been idiomatically in Arabic before the Quran was revealed. So, um, often I will study the usage of Arabic poetry, and that matters a great deal how Arabs at the time used the various phrases and expressions of the Quran itself. Um, I think that I do believe that the Quran spoke to Al Zahir in a Zahiri way and Al Batin in a Batini way. Um, so I do believe that it was part of the brilliance of the Quran that when it spoke about punishment, for instance, and reward, um, that it spoke to levels of understanding according to what the audience were, was able to receive. Um, I believe that the, it is within the, the structure of the Quran itself that the, the meaning uh, in the language reflects the eternal wisdom of the author. So that looking for an original intent in the mind of the author uh, is not a method uh, because you can't capture God within a specific moment, but that often the language will, the, the language when it is phrased in a certain way that it allows for moral progression, that the moral progression is intended and very much a part of the structure of the text that the historical moment is consulted so that it can inform us as to the moral trajectories of the Quran itself. But the historical moment does not foreclose the moral trajectory of the Quran. So I mean that and a lot more can be said because that's a very open-ended question. Um, yeah. Thank you very much, Shaykh. Um, 
that there's an image in my head of the connection between Muzammil and Modethi, and I kind of just want to articulate it. Um, you know, they're both revealed shortly after each other. I, I kind of see Muzammil as laying out the methodology or the practical implementation of the task set down in Modethir. You know, Modethir, as we covered last week, was, you know, rise up, clean yourself, purify mm. yourself, clean your heart. You've got to step up, you've got a big task ahead coming. Right. Which is powerful, but it's quite general. Right. And then right. Mozambique comes and says, oh, and this is how you're going to do it. Serious, serious, serious investment in time with God. Right. And, and, and so I kind of just. I wonder if you come across Yeah, that. no, that, that's actually, that's a good point. Um, that's why I initially intended to cover Muzammar and Udasir together. Because uh, I, I think they're complementary. Mudasir, the, the, yeah, it says basically get up and you have a very important task. But it's not until Muzammar that you get a sense of how important this task is. Um, um, and it is, it, it is just, um, it's remarkable that it, the, the, the burden on I mean, what it comes and it demands of the prophet is is a is a very rigorous. Some some scholars say that the 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 obligation of uh, doing zikr two thirds of the night or at least one half of the night uh, remained for the rest of his life. I mean that this became a uh, something that, and then others say, well, no, it. It, the obligation didn't remain for the rest of his life, but he did it anyway. Um, and that's that's for. I mean, if we go back to this this element of of the seerah, I mean, how can you begin to understand the seerah of the prophet if you didn't understand? This man is spending a good chunk of his life just worshiping. And even at the you know at the height of his becoming a statesman and 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 leading an entire people, and we we still have, you know all the all the reports that we have from his wives and so on is that this is constant ongoing thing, um, and and even the reports is late in the Medina period that you know that they he would spend time. Worshipping so much that they, they would tie ropes so that would help um, support him up as he's standing in prayer because his legs would get so exhausted. I mean, um, and it is clear that the the close group of companions remained very thick oriented throughout the entire Mecca and Medina period. But even, it's, and some group, like the Qur'an, um, who became the genesis for the Khawarij, but anyway, the, the, the Qur'an, while the Prophet lived in Medina, um, took, they, they understood Surah Al-Muzammil that 
they, they rejected the idea that uh, the end of the surah modified the obligation of the beginning of the surah, and they actually believed that the that it was a wajib upon any convert to Islam to worship every night, and that was one of the things that why the Quran sort of became. And they also understood tabatan, wajib tabatul that 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 they, you have an obligation to exclude from society. And and I think that isolationism contributed to what how they how the what became of the Khawarij later on. Um, so but the point is, is that the, the 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 strong ethic of dhikr and it's not an accident that this duality between Mudathir and Muzammil sparked this whole thing. That's very powerful in understanding the genesis of uh, the Islamic message and um, and then what inspires you I mean even if jurisprudentially later uh, when it came to law you know so many of the fuqaha said well you know the 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 salawat al-khams replaced the obligation of dhikr that as a matter of obligation. So dhikr became manafila, but the wajib became the salah. But here is where law is at risk of snuffing out the ethics. Because if you understand the law as entire fulfillment of meaning, then then you become like the way Muslims are today. They, 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 they think that as long as you comply with the law, it's done. Uh, and they, they lose, the, the Quran is a book of nuance, and life is a book of nuance. Uh, while law is often not the instrument of nuance. Um, and that's why law is often inadequate. And legalism is often inadequate. That's part of my methodology as well, if you ask me about methodology. Um, so, but you're right. I mean, the relationship between Mudathar and Muzammil is, um, is umbilical. Any other questions? Uh, my question is two part. The first part I'll ask, and the second part, I think maybe I'll give you opportunity to do it after we go offline in case you decide to answer or not answer. Uh, if you do answer, you can edit it in. Edit it out. Um, the first part of the question is, I, I was trying to find the the, the shifts, so if, about three of them you said. Um, I was just trying to make sure that I got them. The, the earlier sh shift. Can I, can I the study Quran? I want to check something. Yeah, go ahead, you go. The earlier I'm shift, listening. I got the feeling that it was around verse seven to ten or eleven. Um, and the reason I'm asking about the shifts is because I've been studying to try to find how the shifts relate to the fat. To the fat. Yeah. Because I've been trying to break up the fat hat into where I believe the pieces make the most sense. You know, so, for example, verse 7, I get the feeling 
that it's I, I labeled it as seven A, B, and C, uh, one big chunk. Then I was trying to figure out whether the basmala plus um, the sifat of Rabb and the sifat of Rahman or Rahim mm -hmm. are become one chunk, or do they become separate chunks depending on the surah? Or uh, at first I had a working theory that maybe it was verse one, two, three, and four, including the you know Yomidin, Maliki Yomidin, being all part of one group, and then there being a sirat being verses five and six connecting to the final, which is a historical. So, so when you say history, I think in terms of okay, what does history teach us in regards to those who Allah has favored and those whom Allah has chosen have angered him or enraged him. Mm -hmm. So, um, what I'm asking is, is there a way to give an indicator in terms of um, do these suwar kind of follow this pattern of the first three or maybe even four verses being a class uh, in and of itself in terms of the way that the surah is structured? And, or does it depend per surah or... Um, no, is this the right way the, to go about it? No, I mean, it's the right way, but I there's two provisors. Uh, one is that I'm not sure that this applies to the surah that was revealed before Al-Fatha, and I'm not sure that it applies to the very short surah, like Qulhu Allahu Ahad, or Anna'ta'inatha Kawthar, or Li'ilaf Qurash Li'ilafihim, these surah that are often single theme surah. But the uh, the um, but uh, the the issue of the fatha um, and and how it applies to each surah, I'm I'm sure I'm gonna be spelling it out more in more detail as well. But I, it's very good that you you're you're attempting to work it out because I'd be interested in in seeing what you get. Um, because while I am completely convinced that the Fatha is the key to understanding so much of the Quran, uh, I I don't think it's a, a mechanical, dogmatic process. I think that the 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 if, as it's called, the Fatha, it's literally the, mm -hmm. the key. Um, uh, it, that it could work in many different methodologies and in many different ways. But for um, Al-Muzammil, um, from the first part where it talks about the Iqama and, uh, if you will, the um, uh, at tahajjud or what we later on call Tahajjud, and, and that's maybe to up to um, um, Maybe Ayah nine, ten. Then, um, then the counsel to the Prophet Rasulullah. That's the second part. And and to to heed revelation and to or or to to uh, and the, how to deal with revelation and the. The, the method of of reciting the Quran and dealing with the Quran and so on. Um, then 
The third is those who challenge the prophecy of the prophet. And the and the, the similarity to uh, the the people of the Pharaoh. And then the fourth part, after that that talking about those who deny the 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 uh, the prophecy and those who challenge and those who reject, then the fourth part is sort of the affirmative command to the believers, which is the, the final long ayah, um, which returns to the issue of dhikr, but within a minhaj, within a sort of a sharia for them. So it it doesn't just cover dhikr, but it covers dhikr and salah and zakah and, and so on. So you have, now, if, of course, I'm personally, and I might be wrong, I'm skeptical about applying the fatha to al-Muzammil, but it's striking that the, the last ayah is like a salat al-Mustaqeem. And it's also striking that it has غَيْرٌ مَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَالضَّالِّينَ And it also has the, the as, as, as in so many of the surah of the Qur'an, um, uh, is also has the opening salvo of the nature of the divine and what the divine was these two components of who the divine is and your relationship to the divine so we find these elements again which are but of course this is all be, be, in in the short soar I don't my, the way I feel is that we because the short swords are not as challenging to unpack, we didn't need the key of the Fatha to access them, which we often do when we start this with later sword, uh to understand the, the, the coherence within the surah itself. But there are remnants of the meter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what was I checking? I forgot. What was I checking here? I think you were checking the segmentation. Um, the segmentation. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah. Was there a second part? Yeah, I mean, they uh, sort of... Okay. okay. Any more here? Any figures? Okay. Um, Actually, so quick question. There's just to confirm. There's no vicar for this particular sura. No, I no, I didn't. If there is, I didn't discover one. Okay. And then um, I'm gonna take one from the interactive group. Um, when we talk about one third of time in ibadat, um, that ibadat is just physical ibadat, or it, does it include our ways of creating beauty at work or home? And I would add to that because you know it's interesting in the sura, the Verses about, you know, leave behind your attachments to the world, but, you know, turn your attachments to God. And then the idea of, I mean, I know, of course, you know, worship at night, 
but if you if your work is is worship or you're doing something like I've heard you say you know even like studying is worship there are different ways to worship does that get included in this idea of a third of the time for worship you know I put it this way. when later uh, Fuqa, especially when they talked about things like Talab they they made ibadat so much of ibadat contingent on intentionality but you have to be the challenge is that you have to be honest with yourself and sincere with yourself are you truly you know when you are doing what you're doing do you truly truly um, seek closeness to Allah or are you entertaining yourself or promoting yourself or you know um because we we often say yeah yeah we're you know we're we're painting this painting for and to or we're doing calligraphy to let, let's say I'm doing calligraphy right and, and I could tell myself yeah I'm promoting um, this is my form of ibadah which sounds legitimate but <clears throat> but not if I'm in reality I'm I'm just doing it because or I'm let's say my I go around reciting the Quran in publicly you know which again could sound like a very legitimate form of ibadah uh, but not if I'm doing it just because I like the attention and I like the the, the you know I'm serving my ego um, so, so but you have to be that that self-purifying point that you have to be honest with yourself um, and you and this is exactly what they say, you know, you know, you have to know yourself, meaning that you have to be your own harshest critic. Um, if there is a criticism that is going to be enunciated against you, it should be criticism that you've already confronted yourself with. Um, now, um, the other thing to say is that when people, I mean, when they spoke about one-third, one-third, remember, this is not from the Prophet. This is not a hadith. This is not in the Quran, one-third, one-third, you know, break. This was just what Muslim scholars visualized as a, a balanced existence. You know, what they thought would, would be a balanced existence on the basis of their study of the entire corpus of the of, of hadith and Quran and everything, um, you know, for some people, their the state of their ego is that I would tell them, um, you really need to do nothing but zikr and uh, uh, other things are, are not good feelings. Other people, the state of their ego, I might even tell them, no, you need to do less dhikr because your dhikr has become a form of escapism mm -hmm. and avoidance of dealing with um, the reality, your own weaknesses in life or your own insecurities or, you know, it has become a form of sheltering yourself. So, um, in fact, you should worship Allah through serving people. Uh, 
there is so much in the Islamic tradition that when if you serve people with a, with the intent of 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 being getting close to Allah, being close to Allah, that that's ibadah. There's so much in the Islamic tradition that when you do good, like helping human beings uh, with an intent that is pure, of being close to Allah, that that's ibadah. But again, you just have to be careful that it doesn't become a like I, I've seen so many people. You know, they'll 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 be basically pursuing their own selfish careers and goals. And when you talk to them, they'll say, "Oh, you know, my work is ibadah." But in reality, it's not. In in truth, it's obvious that it's not. It's just, uh, you know, the, them making money and taking care of their family, and uh, and every once in a while they'll especially in Ramadan, they'll donate a little bit of money and uh, but effectively there is nothing very luminous about them. There is nothing very clean or pure about them. Um, so that, that, that's the crux of the matter is the, the bottom line is how close to all you are to Allah and how much you know about yourself and how honest you are with your own faults and weaknesses. Uh, no one can be close to Allah who doesn't know their own faults and weaknesses. Anyone who is so busy judging other human beings rather than judging themselves cannot be close to Allah. It's just not possible. Closeness to Allah makes you introspective. Closeness to Allah makes you not eager to judge other human beings, um, but always worried about being impolite with Allah, being inappropriate with Allah, being um, that that disappointing Allah, not worried about how other people disappoint Allah. That's the nature of closeness with Allah. Um, when you talk about when you use the term dhikr, I mean, clearly there's the kind when, you know, you're together, you're reciting or you're saying, you know, certain verses or things over and over. But then um, when we talk about remembrance, like if you're translating dhikr to remembrance of Allah, like if you're, you know, like in your day, you're doing something and every time you do something, you're thinking like, okay, what does Allah think of this? Or you're, you know, you're introducing Allah into sort of your day to day. Is that like... Well, this, this, this is like the example I gave last time when, like, when my mother would turn shopping into the... Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect... I mean, I, I have never been able to do that, but she did. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the way she just did her shopping, it was thoroughly an act of the... Um, very, I can't imagine that there are many people around in the world like, like that, uh, or could do that. Um, I knew people who, uh, I know actually a woman who, in, uh, who would often sew clothes for poor kids in our neighborhood. And I can tell you her sewing was there because just the 
she would if she would just her her she would just her aura would just light up when she would sit working on the clothes for these kids uh, in the neighborhood. Um, and she would be literally was every she did it by hand and literally was like as she's sewing you could you could see that she was in a completely different state. Um, so but again, sincerity and honesty. You can't fool Allah. You can't tell Allah my work is thick when it's really not. Mm -hmm. you, you just have to be very honest with yourself even if you fool the entire world. You can't fool yourself and you can't fool Allah. Okay. Um, Salam, if we didn't sleep after Aisha, can we still pray Qiyam Alayl or Tahajjud? Or are these prayers only done after waking up from sleep? And how many rakah do these prayers consist of? Thank you. Um, Tahajjud is, uh, there, there are no, no limits. Um, the, the most schools, what they say is that a minimum for Qiyam al-Layl, you can pray, if you pray Aisha and you pray the Sunnah, which is two rakahs, and then if you pray two shaf and one witr, then you've done the minimum for Qiyam al-Layl. Um, the minority view is that you need to sleep and then wake up to do Qiyam. The majority view is that you don't need to sleep and then wake up to do Qiyam. And as long as you do the minimum, then you've, you've done, you've engaged the Qiyam. Um, my view is that you can do, Shafa and Wit can be as many rakas as you want. Obviously, the more you do, the better. As you know, but of course, uh, remember that the Prophet ﷺ said, a little that you can stick with is better than a lot that you can't persevere in doing. So, you know, a lot of people, especially when they're very young or the beginning of the path, you know, they start out and they're all energetic and they do a lot. And then they get tired and they stop doing anything. No, it's much better to do something measured and increase if you're able to as you go on. So maybe at the beginning, just pray Isha, pray two Shafa and one Witr. That's all. Uh, if you want to do Qiyam. And then as you go on, increase. If you find that you're able to increase and stick to it. Um, that is a much better way of doing things than, you know, starting all energetic and then burning out. So last question so we can keep yeah, it. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify the point you just made. When you say increase, do you mean in terms of in between Isha and the start of Shaf and Wit to increase Rakatain, you know, two cycles each? So... Or uh, either yeah. that, or either increase, meaning more rakahs, 
so that you 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 pray two sunnahs and then as many rakahs as you want before you do shafan with. Uh, or um, as uh, which is something that I found for me much more uh, effective is that I would pray I the minimum would always be the same but what I would increase or dec uh, decrease is the dhikr so not necessarily the 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 rak'ahs, the ruku'ah, sujood, but often the dhikr would consist of sitting, doing dhikr and doing sujood, and doing dhikr, like sitting, doing dhikr, and then doing sujood. Um, uh, um, I, I found the the formulaic structure of just two rak'ahs, two rak'ahs, two rak'ahs didn't, didn't help my concentration actually hurt it, but the the actual dick was something that I, I found far more, very effective. And um, doing sujood as as long as I needed to, depending on the night that I'm worshiping. And I think that, of course, you know, other uh, uh, if you're doing it with a lot of shiuch, they'll give you a word, give you like a, a um, what's the translation of word again? Um, litany. Litany, litany yeah. Uh, uh, litany that you, you repeat and it's specific and, you know, there, every tariqah has its own word and there are awrad that don't even belong to tariqahs but belong to certain shiuch like Ibn Arabi had his own word. Um, it's, you know, if that's, um, I, I like Ibn Arabi's word a lot. I, I, I find it very beautiful um, and very powerful. But, you know, it, it just, um, that takes us to, you know, just a more complex issue. Alright. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much. So now that was, yeah, we did about 45 minutes of Q&A. And um, thank you everyone for joining us on another Tuesday evening. And we'll see you, inshallah, Saturday um, at 3 p.m. Eastern time for the, the next um, surah. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. Have a good week. Assalamu alaikum.